This is Viterbi Voices, the podcast, your chance to hear stories about research, classes, student life, and more directly from our faculty, students, and other members of the engineering community here at the University of Southern California. This is episode 37 with Dr. Lessa Grunenfelder, who teaches undergraduate material science courses and conducts research on composite materials. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and stay tuned for more episodes coming soon. All right, welcome back in to Viterbi Voices. This is episode... 37. 37? Wow, we are just cranking along. Uh, this is going to go up the first week of November, so I'm assuming we had a really great program on Absolutely. October 30th. I can just was, make that call right it now. It was phenomenal. It was great. <laughs> the costumes were great. Uh, the Viterbi Expo was awesome, so thank you for all those people that came out, even though we're talking from the past right now. Um, <laughs> this episode is Dr. Lessa Grunenfelder. Did I pronounce her name right? I hope I Grunenfelder. Did. Grunenfelder, okay. And, Very phonetic. Yeah, and tell, tell the audience a little bit. I mean, we, we are, the intro already gave a little bit, but you know, what do we talk about in this? Yeah, so we talk about material science and, and how that plays a role um, in pretty much every engineering discipline. Yeah. And so Dr. Grunenfelder teaches a couple of undergrad material science courses. And you might be wondering, where are these courses coming in? Because we don't have an undergrad material science program, a degree. A degree, yeah. But we get into why that is and why it's more important to build your foundation in your own discipline before getting this experience in material science. And then also how applicable that knowledge of material science is and how you can kind of get into a further path, whether it be in academia or using that in, you know, some industry uh, applications. Yeah. I mean, I, all of the stuff with carbon fiber and uh, composites was fascinating. I was loving and just blown away by the story about the mantis shrimp. Yes. Um, and I never asked this question, but has anybody tried, are they delicious? That's a, that's a good question. Do, do people I eat don't mantis know. shrimp? I don't, that's a, that's a really good question, <laughs> which is, it's really funny because the shrimp. So, so for some background, we talk about um, Dr. Grunenfelder's postdoc and how she kind of took a really weird turn from her undergrad and her her masters um, doing material science applications to astronautical engineering to then working with a more biological aspect of material yeah, science. Bio inspired. Yes, yeah. bio inspired, and and specifically the mantis shrimp. Which, if you guys have not heard of the mantis shrimp, it's this little tiny shrimp. That's the peacock mantis shrimp that's oh, okay. nice and color, colorful okay. and everything. And then it has this huge club that it just uses to smack its prey. Yeah. We and should put a video in the, in we'll, the, we'll put a, we'll put a video up. We need to put There's a video. some really good slow-mos. <laughs> okay. But, uh, yeah, but not only the mantis shrimp, have you heard of the snapping shrimp as well? That sounds more familiar. I feel so like that went around social media. There's, a lot. um, another professor who is in the AME department. I, her name is slipping my mind, but she does research with the snapping shrimp. And yeah. that's using, again, a claw to stun its prey. Oh, wow. But it's crazy. You find these shrimp. Yeah. <laughs> you title a shrimp, and then your first question is, How are they delicious? Taste? Are they delicious? We should find that out. <laughs> we, we should, should look, find we out. Should look up reviews. Should, are they delicious? <laughs> how, how good is your mantis shrimp? <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, Dr. Grenfelder is a fantastic uh, teacher. She teaches in material science. For those of you that have wanted to learn more about materials and how that works with our undergraduate program, this is a great talk. Um, 
And uh, also she teaches in our freshman academy program, so uh, directly a class that all of our students take. And we talk about the purposes of the academy and, and how she goes about teaching it. It's a, it's a really, really great talk. Um, and, and I think one of, one of our best in, in recent times. So, uh, that'll come up in a second. Uh, if you are a prospective student and you're working on those applications, keep working. Um, they're due in about a month. So the application, uh, is due December 1st. If you would like to be considered for merit-based scholarships, which I would recommend for everyone to at least put in your consideration. So it's, it, when you have it marked on your calendar, it's due December 1st. December 1st. Due December 1st. That doesn't mean you start working on it December 1st. Hopefully you're working on it now. Take some time, edit out those, you know, those essays, make sure you're putting together your best foot forward, make sure that things are written and communicated uh, effectively. Remember, we are human beings just reading these things, so we want to understand them well. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, and get that submitted. Remember, it's a common app, uh, we're a common app school, uh, so you can go to usc.edu slash common app, um, or just go to our website, Viterbi Admission dot usc dot edu and check out all the information there so also a plug on that um the vsas have been working on this really cool project called tips to apply oh yeah and so if you guys check out our social media uh viterbi student that's going to be on both our facebook page which is the viterbi student ambassadors as well as our instagram yeah so we've got stuff going up periodically and that is us as students giving you our advice for what to do and kind of how to shape your applications, you know, not giving you the, we just talked about this yeah. with Dr. Grunenfeld. We're yeah. not telling you the, the one, two, three, you need to this have is this how you get laid admitted. out. Yeah. We're telling you from our personal experiences, what worked for us and what we right. thought worked well. And when we see people coming in, you know, like Paul said, we're real people, mm-hmm. the people admitting you are real people mm-hmm. and they want to see how you can convey your experience. Sure. I think most of the tips really boil down to relax. <laughs> That's what I've been reading them. I, I think they're kind of cool. It's like, no, don't, don't overthink this. Just relax mm-hmm. and be yourself and you'll be fine. Uh, and so that's, that's really cool. All right. So without further ado, let's hand it off to Dr. Lester Grunenfelder from Material Science. Hello. It's Hi. so good to see you. You too. It's been a long time. I know. Right here? Yeah. Wherever. Okay. Well, not wherever, but yes, right there. You can't cool. actually go wherever. We have to sit up there. <laughs> no, there. How's everything going? Good. Good? Yeah. Thank you for agreeing to do this. Of course. Um, it, uh, I think the, the general rule of thumb is you can never talk too much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and don't be polite. Talk over us. Like The more conversation you get, the more you forget about any of this stuff in front of you, <laughs> the better. Okay. Um, now, you did, you, you did your undergrad and your graduate here. Mm-hmm. And uh, how long have you been here now? Since 2003. Since 2003. So 13 years. Wow. Has it really been that long? Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. I thought I just muted that. Sorry. Okay. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? I'm from Washington State, from Olympia, Washington. Um, yeah, moved here to LA for undergrad and never really left. That's cool. Yeah. Good stuff. And yeah. what did you do your undergrad in? I did it in astronautical engineering. I was actually, I think... I'm going to have to fact check me on this, but I think I was in the first graduating class from right. the Astro program, yeah. um, 2007. Yeah. When it split off from, because it used to be an emphasis inside of aerospace. Exactly. And, and I think when I started, it was that way. And then we graduated as our own program. Cool. So you did your undergrad in astronautical engineering. Yes. What got you interested in doing that when you were coming out of high school? So I was a little bit indecisive coming out of high school, <laughs> which I think is a common storyline. So I applied to 
not a ton of schools, but I was interested basically um, in being an astronaut. So USC had that program in astronautics. Not a lot of engineering schools had that. So I was looking for specifically that um, kind of emphasis. So that's what led me to astro and that's what led me here. And then graduate degrees, was that also an astro? Or you... No. So my graduate degrees are in material science. I actually started working the summer after my junior year in a lab on campus, in a material science lab. I was doing research in composite materials for um, a solar sail application. So mm. it was tied to the astro stuff that I was doing, but ended up being all on the material side of what this was made out of. So that got me really interested in materials. And that's when I sort of shifted um, and I did my graduate degrees in materials. Cool. Tell mm-hmm. us more about that project. I mean, the, the idea of a solar sail and where composite materials come into that. Right. So this was a, it was a deployable structure. So it had to be folded up into a small package, sent to space, and then it would be deployed and unfolded. So there were components that were made from thin sheets of a carbon fiber composite. And what we were looking at with the project, it was undergrad research. It was sort of just my first foot in the door with research, but I was looking at taking things that had been folded for different amounts of time, unfolding them and seeing what kind of distortions were caused in the material. So fiber misalignments, things being out of whack to see if you could actually fold it up. And then when you deploy it, have the structure and the properties that you're expecting. To be functional. Right. Exactly. Okay. And so that led you to the idea of material science in general. Yes. So that introduced me to composite materials, which I didn't know much about going in. So I learned a lot about carbon fiber reinforced plastics. And that's kind of the field that I went into. And what my PhD work was focused on was all carbon fiber reinforced plastics. Hey, y'all, sorry for the interruption, but I wanted to let you know that we have a number of campus visit programs available to you right now. If you want to check out what campus is like, if you want to learn more about the Viterbi School of Engineering, go to viterbi.link slash visit. That's V-I-T-E-R-B-I dot link slash visit, where you can learn about our Viterbi visit experiences that happen on most Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. We have some virtual events that happen on occasional weekdays and occasional Saturdays. Plus, we have some transfer virtual admission sessions where you can learn all about how to get those courses ready for transferring. We want to meet you. We will have lots of opportunities opportunities to do it and it's happening all summer long, but get your registration in now at viterbi.link slash visit. Hope to see you soon. Very cool. Yes. And given on a, on a just day-to-day typical layman's, where do I have experience or where do I use carbon? <laughs> what was it called again? I'm sorry. Is it so time? they're, yeah, they're carbon fiber reinforced plastics, carbon fiber CFRP. Reinforced CFRP. CFRPs. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what do I use CFRPs or do I? You do. Almost okay. certainly you do. Um, and you will more and more as we move forward. Okay. So these are young materials in the world of materials. And when you think about material science, you think mostly about metals and ceramics. Um, polymers are the newest class of materials, right? So Uh around the 1930s, 1950s, we started synthesizing these plastics. Now we make a ton of things out of plastic. Um, What we're talking about with composites is using that plastics as kind of a matrix material to hold together fibers. 
Um, those fibers in the carbon fiber reinforced plastics, they're carbon fiber, so they're very, very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also have reinforced um, glass fiber reinforced plastics, so any type, kind of fiberglass type material. Mm-hmm. So composites in general, you see a lot in sporting goods. Carbon fiber is very stiff, but it's very lightweight. So if you do any type of high-end biking, golf, um, skiing, mm-hmm. there's a lot of sporting good equipment that's made out of these lightweight, strong materials. But then also one of the big markets for composites is anything to do with transportation mm-hmm. because we want to be lightweight for fuel efficiency, but we need the structural properties. So if you've ever flown, have you been on a Boeing 787, uh-huh. the Dreamliner? Yeah. So that's a composite body aircraft. Yeah, it's all composite, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. The fuselage, the wings, they're all carbon fiber composite. Um, most aircraft that are operating right now are aluminum body. So we've had mostly metallic aircraft. Right. There's this major paradigm shift happening right now where the companies are moving away from metal to composite. And that has a whole slew of benefits because now with it's not steel expanding and contracting with the compression of going up and down anymore. It's carbon fiber, which actually do that and last longer over time. Is that correct? Or so, yes. Carbon fiber wrong? composites have a better fatigue life, so okay. they can go through a lot of cycles. Um, they don't corrode, which can be a benefit over metals. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also inherently anisotropic materials, they don't have the same properties in any direction the Mm. way something like a bulk metal does. So if you use fiber-reinforced composites intelligently, you can tailor your strength and your stiffness where you need it. Mm. Um, There's not a lot of that being done yet in Mm. particularly commercial aircraft. Um, Safety is such a huge concern that we don't want to get too fancy with what we're doing. So a lot of the composites that go into aircraft, they refer to it as basically black aluminum. You take your fiber directions and you vary it in every layer so that you're making what behaves like an isotropic material. Because if you have roughly the same properties in every direction, you can model failures more easily. You can predict things more easily. You're kind of building in this safety net. Um, But I think once we get more comfortable and confident with using composites, we can actually cut a lot more weight by sort of targeting the strength where we need it. Hmm. So carbon fiber reinforced plastics are essentially when people say something is carbon fiber. Yes. Like you hear about right. carbon fiber bikes, right. carbon fiber whatever. I, right. I, I had a baseball bat. No, yeah, that carbon fiber. Yes. Carbon fiber. So, yeah, yeah, when you say, oh, my cell phone case is carbon fiber. It's, it's actually a carbon fiber reinforced right. plastic. Okay. Because the fibers <laughs> won't hold themselves together, oh, right? Okay. You yeah, can, yeah, yeah. The individual fibers, if you look at a sheet of just the fiber, it's basically like a fabric. It's like nylon or, or it looks like nylon from the outside. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's flexible. So then you kind of stick it together with this plastic. The plastic transfers load between the fibers. It holds everything together. Hmm. So that's the other important piece of the composite. But yeah, when people say that things are fiberglass or carbon fiber, they're composites. Got it. They have a plastic involved. Okay, great. So now, now I understand. When I heard carbon okay. fiber reinforced plastic, I'm like, that sounds really complicated. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's okay. just... Yeah. That uh, Okay, cool. And so you got your PhD in material science. I did. And then you just started teaching. Is that correct? Is this your so first or second year? This is my second year teaching. Okay. I actually, I got my PhD in 2012. 
And I spent, mm -hmm, I spent a year as a postdoc at the University of California, Riverside. Oh, okay. So the typical kind of academic track after PhD, you go to a different institution, you do related but slightly different research. Academic purgatory? Yeah, (laughs) right. So it's a, by definition, temporary position. It's usually a year or two, but you gain a bunch of new skills. You diversify your areas of expertise. So I took a pretty major left turn for my postdoc, and I went and worked in a biomimetics lab. Hmm. So the lab that I worked in in Riverside, um, we had a bunch of fish tanks. We studied crustaceans. And these, yeah, so we worked with, they got pretty popular a few years ago just because they're this cool, weird animal. Um, But the mantis shrimp, have you heard of them? No. Yeah. So they're rainbow colored. They're really beautiful. They're called the peacock mantis shrimp because they're kind of green and really colorful. But they have these heavily mineralized clubs on their front appendages. Crazy. And they use them. Yes, the videos are amazing. (laughs) They use them to bludgeon the shells of their prey animals. So they eat things like snails, like soft bodies of snails. Oh, my God. But to get to the snail, they just beat the shell apart. Oh, my God. And the crazy thing about it is their fist. How big are they? They're about... Like three or four, four inches? inches. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, they, they get bigger, but they're not huge. Um, uh-huh. but they, their fists, their clubs are made out of the same material that the snail shell is made out of. So if you think about that, there's got to be something else going on inside yeah. that club that lets it break apart yeah. this material that has a similar composition. The shell fails. The shrimp's club doesn't. So what we were doing there was basically looking at the structure of the uh-huh. club, how that material is put together. Um, and then from that kind of drawing design cues to make materials with high performance composites that have similar impact resistant properties. Lighter, stronger. Right. Mostly tougher. So more, more impact resistant. Um, So what's the answer? Well, inside the (laughs) shrimp, yes, it's actually, it's really interesting. If you take a section of this shrimp club, so to do that first, you have to remove the club from this monster shrimp, which was, I did it, I think the second day of my postdoc was the first day that I did a club (laughs) removal. And it's terrifying because they also, these shrimp have to be stored in acrylic tanks because they're strong enough to break glass tanks. Are you serious? You have to see the videos. They have have slow-mo videos where they just start whacking stuff. Yeah, they actually move so quickly that they create cavitation bubbles in the water. So after the first initial hit impact, there's the impact of these cavitation bubbles. It's crazy. They sound sound terrifying. (laughs) Yeah, they are. They are. They're beautiful. They're really scary. They have a lot of personality. They were really fun to work with. But anyway, if if you're able to remove a club, and they grow them back, so it doesn't harm them. Okay. Um, They'll grow it back over time. But if you take the club and you cut a slice into it and you look at that slice in the microscope, what you see is it is a fiber-reinforced composite, essentially. You have these mineralized fibers, and instead of being stacked in sort of perpendicular directions the way that we typically stack up our composites for... Right, weaving fashion. Right. What they have is each layer is very slightly rotated from the layer below it. So it's this helicoid structure that they form. And with that, with that misorientation, that slight angle between every layer, you actually get these really improved um, energy absorption properties. You get these really tortuous crack pathways that kind of rotate with every change in orientation. So you absorb a lot of energy through that more tortuous crack propagation and you get a stronger overall structure. So, yeah, it's very interesting. So we took that 
and kind of copied that design and made some composites with that type of architecture with carbon fiber um, and tested them in impact and got some pretty interesting results. So that's cool. Yeah, it was very cool. It was kind of combining biology and materials and manufacturing. There's some other research that, that I know Dr. Spedding is doing uh, in biodynamical properties and things like that, mm-hmm. which is basically a similar aspect, which is, okay, nature does this so much better than we do. How can we figure exactly. out how to make it work for our technology? That right. We're creating? So they've gotten the structures that they have over millions of years of evolution. We are very new at engineering. <laughs> right. So nature knows a lot more than we do about optimized structures. That's cool. And mm-hmm. so when when will an average consumer start to see new versions of CFRPs based on that type of research and structuring out the patterns or will it? I, I don't So it's it's a lot more complicated from the kind of practical manufacturing standpoint okay. um, because you're having to lay down all these layers with these yeah, weaving slightly sense, different angles. Like this, right. This, I don't know how you keep that together. Yeah, right? it's certainly more difficult to produce. Um, so I'm not sure if that specifically will ever make it to market, but certainly, you know, taking those design inspirations can point us in new and interesting directions. That's cool. Yeah. So how do you go about manufacturing such like a crazy complex biological material? Hey everyone, this is Paul. Sorry for the interruption, but I wanted to let you know about a new feature we just unlocked. It's about sending us questions or comments via text. If you go to your podcast player, check the show notes. There's a link there that says, send us a question or comment. It may be on our next episode. So go in there, send us a little quick text message. Let us know what your questions are. Let us know what your comments are. We'd love to hear from you. So we can't wait to see it. Now back to the episode. So there's a there's two different branches of kind of the biomimicry world. Um, one is biomimetic, one is bio-inspired. So what we were doing, um, and I should mention when I was doing this work at UCR, um, my advisor was David Casalis. So he runs this bio-inspired lab. Um, so what we're doing isn't trying to make the structures the way that the natural materials make them or to replicate them exactly. But what we're doing is looking at how they do what they do and then taking those design cues and recreating them with what we have. So what we observed was these single direction layers of fibers with these small angles between them. And then what we took was a material that has single direction carbon fibers and just manually by hand. So there's a lot of manual labor that goes into a PhD and a postdoc. But basically, I cut a bunch of layers at different angles, stacked them up by hand, um, and then we bake them the way that we would bake a normal composite material and then test them. So nothing too fancy on the manufacturing side other than a lot of time with a protractor and an X-Acto knife. Mm. <laughs> You're done. Dirty. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you started teaching here what year? Uh, last year. Last this year. is my second year full-time. I started um, as a part-time lecturer, so I had one class initially. When I finished my postdoc in Riverside, I actually came back and I did a brief stint as a postdoc here. So I did a second postdoc at USC, and during that time, I had decided that teaching was where I really wanted to put my emphasis. So I let my advisor know that, and an opportunity came to teach, and he sort of flagged me for that. So I got to teach um, one class to start out, which was a really nice way to ease in. Mm-hmm. And I've been full-time for two years. And so you're teaching two classes this semester? <laughs> I or wish. three, four, five. five? Five? You're teaching five classes? Yeah, I'm oh teaching an overload. Um, 
which is a lot. Yeah. But it's fun. So it's going all right. I'm teaching, I teach a couple of material science courses. So one thing that's interesting about USC and about most universities, undergraduate material science programs are really rare. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't see a lot of them. So at USC, we don't have an undergraduate major in material science, but because all engineers work with materials in one way or another, it's really important for them to get exposed to Mm -hmm. materials. So we have two courses that we offer from the material science department at the undergraduate level. Mm -hmm. So they're listed in our course book as MASC or material science designations. Mm -hmm. So um, any of our engineers can take them. Mm -hmm. I teach two of those classes, one at the freshman level that I'm teaching this semester. It's sort of our intro to chemistry, but with uh, material science and more applied engineering flavor. Is it Material Science 110? Yes, Material okay. Science 110. It's got a lab. It's a it's a fun class. It's a nice intro. And then I teach, which don't tell the other classes, but my favorite class to <laughs> we teach. Won't, I'm sure no one will hear this. <laughs> yeah, thing. no, no one's listening. Oh, yeah. um, my favorite class to teach is Material Science 310. Okay. It's junior level. Some sophomores take it, some seniors take it, but it's kind of the more core of material science, mechanical properties, material behavior, material selection and design. So that class this semester, I have two sections of that. Um, So that's a really fun one. And then I also have two sections of our freshman academy course. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. Great. Yes. So I'm doing that for the first time this semester. Very cool. And Alex, you're taking... I'm taking 310. 310 right now. One of the seniors in there. Yeah. So that's for my mechanical emphasis. Okay. It's awesome. Okay. It's really cool. <clears throat> Excuse me. I took strength strength of materials through AME, mm-hmm. uh, the AME department, and this is like getting a lot more in depth and actually understanding why things do what they do. And so for me, it's really interesting. Hmm. I think some of the sophomores kind of get into it and still see it. You know, you're a sophomore; they see it. It's kind of like, oh, this is another class, right? Um, and then you have all the. Uh, Iovine Academy people yes. who just don't have the background. I know. I feel so it. bad and. It must be tough, but we have this really cool, the Iovine Academy program. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, this class is one of the classes that they can take because there's, I think, a materials kind of I think it's branch a design, of that, yeah, like a design, design emphasis right. that they do. Right. They so lost. they're in here with, they just lost you know, they're doing fine, but they, <laughs> they, don't try hard. Have, they, try hard. they don't have the engineering background that everybody else does. So I think it makes it a lot harder because there are certain things that the engineers have seen before mm-hmm. quite a bit. And just a lot of the math and some of the general concepts, if you're coming from a different degree program, that can be sort of a punch in the face if you haven't done that kind of thing for a while. Mm-hmm. It's all mechanical, aerospace, and then a few BMEs. Yeah, like we, get, we get a good amount of BMEs, and actually. And then <clears throat> chemical, civil, and then you throw these guys in. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of are, you know, let's Help. just throw this into Help. your... Yeah. yeah, to your course program. I want right. to draw. I want to. Can we just draw? <laughs> <laughs> and we do some stuff that's more thought based, less mathematics. Well, that's so. actually personally my favorite part of the class is looking at the bigger picture of everything. Right. And I think you've done a really good job with that so far. Is you know how do these materials play into your day to day life, and and how are these materials going to impact you fifty? Hundred years down the line, right? Uh, talking about recycling and reusing you know, thermoplastics, all that sort of stuff. Right. So, yeah, that's the the thing that's nice about teaching material science is that everyone has some innate understanding of materials because everyone interacts with them, and you know how a plastic feels and behaves differently than a metal or a ceramic. You know what's brittle. You know these things just by 
having dropped plates and having them break or getting in a car accident and seeing the crumpling of the bumper. You mm-hmm. see these things, so you have a basic understanding of them. But then what happened for me when I first kind of switched majors into material science, actually getting the understanding of why the different materials behave the way that they do, I just thought it was fascinating. So that's kind of the the cool thing about material science is that everyone works with materials, but now you can understand why they do the right. things that they do. Right. I would I would venture to say that you never switched majors. You just kind of kept going down a path that kind of funneled into the thing that you Absolutely. wanted that you focused on. And what I, I wanted to actually talk about that because so many perspective engineering students don't believe that there is this evolution to get there. It's just like I should just be able to you know, see everything in a catalog and point to something that I'll do. Oh man, no way. I know. And so, <laughs> so, and, and so how, can you describe to, to like our listeners, cause we get a lot of prospective students, a lot of first year students, they want the answer. Like, okay, how did you arrive at your answer? Right. But I think a lot of people will skip over the fact that that answer took years to develop. It's an evolution that you kind of get to. Absolutely. And honestly, if material science had been an option in the course catalog, I never would have picked that. No. Because you don't have really the background understanding yet of what it is you're interested in or what the things even are. So for me, again, I ended up in astro because it sounded cool. I wanted to say, you know, I'm a rocket scientist. And the idea of working for NASA, all of these things was my perspective going in. And then once you're there and you take all these different classes and all of our degree programs, I think, have a nice blend of different things. So you're not only learning Mm -hmm. all mechanics. If you're a mechanical engineer, you get to see these other things. And that kind of makes you realize what it is that interests you. And then you can go down that path. Right. I mean, it's kind of similar to what you just said, Alex, this idea that like you, you don't, you have the appreciation of the material science class as you've gotten towards the end of your program, because Mm -hmm. you're starting to recognize the slots that you're going to put that knowledge in. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to apply that directly. Mm-hmm. And if you had had it earlier, you probably wouldn't, you just would have thought of it as more of a, a class I got to get through. Yeah. Yeah. I think it can also fill some of the holes where you just accept things to be true and sort of believe that the equations that you're taught hold. And then once you get the underlying fundamentals, it all starts to click into place. Mm-hmm. So. I think that's what's kind Nothing of interesting Nothing is strictly about it. theoretical in, in nature and right. what you're actually going to be dealing with. Yeah. So, and I, I mean, I'm really glad I get to take this class because I have a mechanical emphasis. As you were saying, everyone deals with it in some sort of way. And to me, it's shocking that more engineers don't have to take this class because it's so applicable. I agree with you. I think that all of our students should take a material science course. Um, actually, the two courses that I wish all of our students could take would be a course in materials and a course in statistics. Um, but there's schedule issues, so sure, we can't yeah. all do that. But I think, I mean, I'm glad that I get a blend of majors in the class because it doesn't apply to any one major more than any other. We all interact with materials. Now, do you have any involvement in the polymers material science emphasis in the chemical engineering department or will you or? So the class, the material science 310 course is one of the courses that is part of that Mm -hmm. emphasis program. So the chemis that we have are typically doing that emphasis. Mm -hmm. Um, We're working to hopefully kind of expand that to give more diversity of course offerings, um, hopefully have more material science courses that people can take. Mm -hmm. Um, But 
yeah, I mean, I'm involved in that I teach that class and that I'm working with the department to try to build up numbers in that emphasis and okay. and grow it. Because one of the things, we, we get a few students that will say I'm, they, they somehow got some sort of exposure to materials or mm-hmm. they've watched some sort of, you know, documentary or something on or on, how it's made or carbon yeah how it's made thank you that's what i was going for yes, that documentary. Shows the best. yeah yeah all these discovery uh uh-huh. channel shows on how it's made and so there's fascination about carbon fibers and and there's a lot of media around it with the 787 and yes. and you know other things that are happening like athletics bmw right oh, yep. BMW. the okay. i series the i3 the i8 those yeah. are composite body cars so, so it's got some momentum it's got some groundswell going and Definitely. we get some students that will come and say i really want to study material science and it's hard for me to explain to them, but I, I I try to let them know. Yeah, that you'll get there. Right. Pick, try to pick the area that you think you want to use materials in. Yes, that's very good advice. Is that where we should be going, directing yes. them to? Yes. Like find the thing that you think sounds cool. Right. You'll find the way that you'll get to material science, and then we can point them to this podcast and say, if you really get into it, then you become. <laughs> Exactly like our faculty that are teaching material yes, science. Yes, right. So I think that's definitely good advice because you still need kind of the other information. If all you know is all of this about bonding and material properties, you still need somewhere to put that information. More of a theorist, really. Right. Yeah. Like Alex was talking about, like those holes to fill and where it applies to you. So to be just a material science is, scientist is nearly impossible because we're making new materials or manipulating materials for some sort of other useful purpose. And Mm -hmm. that brings in all the other engineering disciplines. So even my PhD had a ton of mechanical behavior, mechanical testing, that side of things involved with it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not materials for the sake of materials. It's materials for some application. Mm. Cool. So it makes sense that there's not an undergrad program. Yeah, it does. It does. And like I said, I don't think that most people coming into college have enough of a an understanding of what that would even mean, what a material science degree would look like. Like, I never would have chosen that coming out of high school. So I think it had to be this progression to find it. And then it's a wonderful thing to study in graduate school because you have the fundamentals in whatever your bachelor's discipline was, and then you get all of this materials knowledge on top of that. Cool. Good stuff. So obviously, just starting off, you know, you just got your PhD within the last five years and starting to teach where do you see yourself in the next, you know, 5, 10, 15 years, you know, still at USC, expanding the program, uh, whatever? So that's an excellent question. It's a hard one to answer. I clearly love it here. Um, I tried to leave once. I lasted a year and I came back. So I think there's a good chance that I will be here for quite a while. Um, USC is basically... You know, I'm the kind of person I I grew up in the same house. My parents still live in that house. So I had one home in Washington. My second home has been USC. Mm -hmm. So um, I definitely love it here. I think our engineering school and the material science, chemical engineering, petroleum engineering department have some really exciting things happening, um, some exciting new directions and growth. And I would definitely love to be part of that. Um, My academic path is a little bit different because during the academic year, I'm full-time teaching faculty. Um, I'm the first teaching faculty in the material science group of our department. So it's kind of this new job that I'm carving out what it means to have this job and what I can do with it and how we can grow curriculum and do new things and exciting things for our undergraduates. So that's what I'm excited about, what I'm focused on. That's cool. 
Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. So you're by no means new to LA, but you grew up in the Pacific Northwest. Yes. And been here for 13 years. If you can remember back to it, what was the <laughs> what was the biggest transition or what was the biggest change from that area that you grew up in to coming to LA, a big bad city? There was so much. Um, I talked to my freshman academy students about this the first day of classes um, this fall because it was such a culture shock for me. Yeah. And honestly, my first semester, I had a really hard time with it. I didn't know if I liked it here. I think LA has to grow on you a little bit. Yeah. There are some people who will instantly love it. Um, I think a lot of people don't. Sure. Because it's, it's intimidating, yeah. right? And especially when I first got here, Transit was more of a mess than it is now, so it was hard yeah. to get around. Um, it was just hard to kind of find my place, I think. Right. And it's not because there's not something, no matter what you're interested in, it's because there's so many things that it's hard to pick your little niche. Mm -hmm. um, but I found it about second semester freshman year, and since then I've loved it. The things that I miss are definitely the changing seasons, which I think, I mean, honestly, it helps to mark the passage of time in your life when you have right. changing weather and it's right. just beautiful all the time here. So you look back and you're like, where did the last three years go? Yeah. Um, where I think if you can mark that a little bit with fluctuations in weather, that can be helpful. Um, it's hard to complain about the weather though. It's yeah. beautiful. Well, I mean, given like right now it's, it's, it's late October, it's 86 degrees outside. Right. And that's one thing I remember <laughs> when I was a freshman in November, I was walking back to my dorm from class in a t-shirt and it just felt so strange. And I had a really hard time getting excited about the holidays because it just didn't feel like the right yeah. time of year. Yeah. And from Washington, obviously we have a ton of rain and gray weather. So right. I love the couple days a year that we get here. We had one last week where it's a little bit drizzly it and was gray. cold last week it was yes and i thought okay great now we're in fall and then all of a sudden three right. days later it's a week of 70s and then yeah back to that. but yeah now we're back <laughs> i know i had to re-put away my boots and sweaters maybe well, I also love how, like, everyone here complains, like, we're complaining, for lack of a better term, and people are listening, and it's going to be freezing, and it's <laughs> I like, well, I don't understand why they're complaining. Right. Like, oh, it's nice again? How boring. Oh, my God. I've got to go to the pool again. Yeah. Um, it's tough to complain. What's it like teaching the Freshman Academy? It's interesting. Um, it's really great. It's something that I wish had existed when I was a freshman. Yeah, we started so, it like right after you. I think yes. the first pilot class was 04. Oh, wow. So yeah, that's Oddly, you right missed it by a year. Me. Granted, uh -huh. that was like a, a small two-section thing. We were testing it out. Right. Um, but yeah, no, it just started like right after you. It's great. I love teaching freshmen in general. Mm -hmm. um, they're so excited, so open not jaded. It's really great to interact with the freshmen. <laughs> they walk and... into class with like, I'm excited to learn. Yes, and so excited to be here. It's great. They're wonderful. Um, so I teach a lot and of you freshmen. you beat that out of them right, as quickly right. as you can. I'll teach you. Yeah, wait till you're with me as a junior. Um, the academy class, though, is really awesome because it introduces students in a really gradual way to a ton of the resources that are available mm -hmm. through Viterbi, which are things that, again, I wasn't the most proactive freshman or high school student or undergrad in general, but there are just a lot of things that I wasn't aware of that I probably should have been. And something like Academy will introduce you to those things, the Career Center, all the access through the libraries, just all of these things that are here and that our students can take advantage of. Yeah. But if they don't know about it, then they won't. Right. So I think it's great to have something kind of 
standardized where every freshman gets to see all of the things and then choose what they want to take advantage of and what they don't. Right. Yeah, it's it, it's almost like a primer on how to be. Yes. Like, uh, given some of your earlier comments on like, it's, everything's so overwhelming. It is. There's way too it many is. things to do. It's nice to have a once a week check-in right. to be like, okay, you know, we're, this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's also discussing engineering uh, from a more global right. perspective. So that's the other great thing about it. So, the, I mean, the one thing that's good about doing this kind of intro on how to be in USC, it's so much more effective than a single day orientation where yeah. you're bombarded with just too much information. You're too excited and nervous to take anything in. So it just all blows right by you. So I think this weekly check-in, like you said, is, is a nice way to do that. But then the other huge piece of it is that the whole course revolves around the National Academy of Engineering Grand Challenges. So I showed my freshmen some really interesting data. There was this huge survey done of undergraduates from all different institutions across the United States, and it asked the engineering students to rank sort of in order of importance this whole different list of skills and Mm. sort of competencies. So the ones that rose to the top were problem solving, working in teams, um, understanding of science, understanding of engineering. So those things rose to the top. The things that were at the very bottom of the list that were chosen by less than, I think, 5% of the students were things like global context, um, societal context. So I think a lot of engineering students get so bogged down in the math and the theory and the working through problems that you can lose track of why you're doing any of it. Where engineering as a profession, the whole thing is solving problems. Those problems are societal and global problems. So it's just important to have that reminder and to sort of start your thought process of engineering thinking about it that way. Hmm. Thinking about what am I going to be able to accomplish once I get through these long nights of homework and doing these math problems. Because it's not about the math. It's about applying what you learn to solving these problems to help people, basically. I would love to see that data. It's really interesting. I'll send it to you. Yeah, please do. Yeah, because we we talk about that in in how to understand our approach to teaching engineering, mm-hmm. and I specifically talk a lot about societal context and, yes. and how engineering. You know, students come from high school with this idea of objective thinking, like they like math and science, and that's the reason they are drawn to engineering yes. because they really like the. I always call it the ones and zeros, the trues and false. Yes, and they, the, they, I was good at math and science is the number one reason you hear people say yeah, why they go into engineering. Yeah, and so there's this really good idea of like definition of of, of correct and incorrect, and so they they, they like that. Yes. And they, yeah. And, oh, and, that's and they, yeah. <laughs> they, and they hate subjective like they hate opinions on things yes. so like I would, they would prefer something right or wrong just right. tell me what's right open-ended problems are not their favorite right and so yeah. they get into engineering and i say that's great you'll be good at it but the one difference is that engineering problems never exist in a vacuum and there's mm-hmm. never a right or wrong answer to an engineering problem there's just right. the best given the situation right and you can usually, optimize but yeah. you you never even know if you've got it right because there is no. no answer in the back of the book that you can look up to these big mm-hmm. nebulous problems yeah and historical context in addition to global and societal context will show you that we've we've persisted with the same problems since the beginning of time we just change our answers yep. to those problems working toward better solutions yeah yeah, so yeah. that's that's phenomenal. I love to talk about that more. That's some good stuff. Yeah, that's one thing that I think can really throw people off when they go from a undergraduate engineering degree to a graduate program. Really? Um, so if you go from a, a course-based degree to a research-based degree, all of those answers 
the right and wrong go away. Mm -hmm. And people who are very good at school and really used to getting the right answer, when they're in a lab environment, it can be really sort of unsettling. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one great thing. A lot of our undergraduates do research in labs on campus. And one great thing about that is it gives you that comfortability with the fact that there's no certain way to do things. The first couple weeks working with an undergraduate, they usually want to know, you know, what steps should I do? What should I do to get to this result that we're looking for? And the truth is we don't know what right. steps will get us there. That's right. what the experiments are all about. So not having a strict protocol or a set way of doing things and being forced to just try things and sometimes fail can be one of the best things that our high achieving engineers do because they're used to there's you, a right way and a wrong way. How do you think this current crop is doing in the <laughs> comfortability with failure? Because, you know, even with 13 years under your belt, you're a very different generation than... So different. Yeah. Yes, it's and night and day. Yeah. I mean, we, we get this all the time. It's, it's, you know, how do I get admitted? Well, there's no way to. Right. You just <laughs> try and we'll see what happens. Right. Uh, and this process that students are coming in with, you know, 4.8 GPAs. Yes. Because uh, because of all this, you know, extra grade inflation plus the idea of like honors, AP, extra points, stuff like that. Right. These students are overachievers. They have no idea how actual, you know, uh, university courses are going to be taught and the rigor. Right. And that, you know, that, that type of thing is impossible at a, at a college, let yes. alone engineering school. And it's, I mean, this, this group of freshmen is out of this world. They're they're really remarkable. We just did our resume workshop with the academy and I was looking at these kids' resumes and <laughs> my resume didn't look that good when I was a senior. They have internship experience. They have all of this stuff coming out of high school and I just part of me just wants to tell them to relax a little bit. Yep. Um because so much of what makes you attractive to employers and what makes you successful in life has to do with who you are as a person, mm -hmm. not your lists of achievements. Mm -hmm. So I think it's great that they're so high achieving, but I wish sometimes they weren't so hyper-focused on these benchmarks of success right? Um, and took a little bit more time to sit back and enjoy themselves. I would take it a step further. They're handling life in the same objective fashion that they've handled their math classes. Yes. And so they built right. their resume to be able to prove that they have an objectively accurate and high-performing resume, right. yet they do not understand the context between those pieces. Right. Uh, and I think that's a lot of the learning that happens here. And, and the idea that when you start talking to recruiters, the students that go in with that impressive resume but can't talk about it mm -hmm. or can't answer those questions right. don't, don't do well. Or just have those personal interactions. And that's something that I think is so beneficial about college in general. The content that you learn in the classes, the degree is important, but there's a huge aspect of college that's kind of the getting yourself out of your comfort zone mm -hmm. and the socialization piece. So for most people, you're moving somewhere new, you're interacting with all new people, you're in this bizarre new environment. It's the only time in your life when you're sort of in this weird vacuum with just a bunch of your peers. Mm -hmm. It's this really safe and kind of interesting environment to figure out who you are. So I think even if you're not sure if you want to go to college at all. You don't know what you'll do with your degree. Just going for that experience is worth it because yeah. you learn so much yeah. when you're not in the safe haven of your parents' house and <laughs> things as you know it in the town you grew up in. Yeah, LA will definitely will do that. Totally, yeah, <laughs> yeah. totally. Being, yeah. being in a big city like that right. offers you more opportunities to 
right. have those experiences. Um, we did, I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast before, but we did a survey of our undergraduate students over the summer, continuing undergraduates up to upperclassmen and along with some recent alums. And there's some really cool data that came out of it, but there's an interesting um, thread that occurred in the open-ended questions. Mm-hmm. And they're all similar questions, but one answer kind of kept popping to the top, which is things that they wish they would have done differently. Um, and one of the things was, I wish I would have relaxed. Yes. I wish I would have not, and this, this sounds extreme, but I wish I would have not have focused on my grades so much in my freshman year. Yes. I wish I would have actually gone out and done more stuff because as I got into my senior year, I'm realizing no one's really worried about my GPA, let alone what I did freshman year. Right. They're worried about what have I done? What are my experiences been? How can I talk about those experiences? Who do I know? And, and I, if I was so focused on you know, having those grades, I, 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 I was, I was tightly wound and I was not having experiences. And the more I let go of that, I got, mm-hmm. I got much stronger. That's the one downside to teaching in particular first semester freshmen, but freshmen in general, they're operating under the illusion that they can leave USC with a 4.0. So they are still so focused on grades. <laughs> they freak out over, you know, a half a point here and there. And I just, same thing, I just want to tell them, just relax. Let it go. Yes. Like, just take your first day minus. It'll ease all that pressure. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's... We're going to wean you into bees. Here yes. we go. Like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, it'll really be fine. And we'll these classes are hard. You're not supposed to get all A's. And that's fine. And employers don't care about the, you know, minute details of the GPA. They're interested in holistically who you are. There's a big difference, obviously, between slacking off and between (laughs) sort of having this more relaxed approach, but finding that balance. Yeah. I always say that there's a difference between doing well Mm -hmm. and doing poorly. Right. Uh, And none of these discrepancies that people are worried about are anywhere near the threshold of doing well or doing poorly. Right. It's (laughs) doing well or just completely only focusing on school and trying to get that 4.0. Yes. Well, there's that, is it the 80-20 rule? Um, Oh, yeah, that Giannis talks about? Yeah. So if you have, you know... Have you heard heard him go over the 80-20 rule? I don't think I've heard him talk about it. Oh, my gosh. So, (laughs) oh, he has a whole thing on it. But go ahead. So, I I mean, I was just going to say, you know, if you do, you can do... 80% 80% of the work and you're going to get the same result. But then if you kill yourself for that last little bit, the incremental amount better that you'll do. So trying to go from good to perfect is just so much extra time and effort for very little payoff. Mm-hmm. So just kind of getting to the point where you're doing good quality work and you're learning, but you're not killing yourself over that idea of perfection because it's just not going to happen, particularly in engineering. Like mm-hmm. we said, there is no you know, perfect and that 20% might allow you to actually better understand those contextual issues yes. that we've talked about. Because yes. when you, they take a step back, right. they might actually, interestingly enough, might further perfect their answer, even though they, they weren't trying to perfect the, the, the numerical accuracy. value. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. If you take a step back and think about what it is you're actually trying to work through. Yeah. In some ways, it's a difference between validity and accuracy. Uh, and we were, so we were like, were you there yesterday when we did the postcards? Yeah. Oh, when I, I said, mm-hmm. I, I told them because they're doing this postcard signing project right now. I saw a bunch of people, my academy coaches were signing a bunch of things. They're, those? We're, okay. they're doing, they're, all the students <laughs> are doing a mailing right now to prospective students. Oh, and cool. So, they so have, they're like personalized. They have, awesome. they have a large chunk that they're doing. And, and I was just trying to give them a status report. Like mm-hmm. you, you've gotten through about this much given how much work you put in just to kind of, this is so you can see what's mm-hmm. happening. 
And I gave them a percentage because I know they're going to like percentage. So I yes. said, hey, you're roughly at around 14% done. And, oh, and, and I said, so, but, but that's one day. Great job. You know, we got five more days. Mm-hmm. You should be fine. Just understand where you are. And then hand raised. So how did you actually figure out the 14%? Uh. Was it, was it, did you go count through all of them? And it wasn't like a detailed worry about it, but it was just more curiosity. How uh-huh. did you know? I said, no, I, it's really pretty simple. They fit into 15 bins. You have two done. Yeah. So you're at like at 13.5%. <laughs> I said, it's not so much about the accuracy. It's much more about the validity for you to understand you're about right. yay done. So, you're ballparking to give you <laughs> yeah, what so you it's need a progress. to know. Yeah. But it's so funny. Yeah, Allie asked that question yesterday. I'm like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> She's going to check your calculations. <laughs> exactly. Oh, but that's so where funny. everybody goes to the numbers. Like, oh, I got to know exactly. Yeah. Um, Man, when you bring up mailing, that was the other thing that got me to USC was the – mailing packets that go out Mm -hmm. they're just so cool looking i think the one my year had all of these cartoons and rocket ships it's like oh yeah this will work for me cartoons always work yep yeah bright colors (laughs) and i was not hard to please as a uh, high school student (laughs) and now our faces are posted now your faces are everywhere people to see oh wow yeah yeah, when That's you get exciting. out of here, we'll have to walk you back there to see how the sausage is made. And yeah, so, very cool. The whole they're, they're in a whole thing out there. Well, that's one thing. I don't know if you remember this, but I was an undergraduate work study student I in remember. this office. I, yeah. was, I was deciding whether you wanted to bring it up or not. Yeah. I don't want to put you on the spot. <laughs> oh, no, that's fine. Yeah. So it's it's a different – seeing things from this side is very different, but yeah. it's funny. Yeah, Lessa was one of the students that would sit back at those computers. Mm-hmm. You were here when we moved into this building. Yes. Actually. RTH was built while I was here. That's yeah. a sign of That's how old, how old you are. So did, I know. did you actually work in OHE with us or did you only work here? I started here. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So you never worked in it because our mm-hmm. office used to be in OHE. Where in OHE? 106. The first floor. The little tiny area there. Well, it's been completely redone. Okay. Is it the so Den Studio? It, Den is, or Gap is there now. Gap, Graduate okay. Professional Programs is there now. Right. Um, and, but that was all gutted after we left and they reformatted all the offices, but used to be able to walk, basically our office door is actually not even there anymore. It used to be right Hmm. off of OHU 122. So you'd walk in there, there'd be like this little sitting area with like four seats and then it would just be nothing but cubicles. And we're all in there, and, and then there was like a weird kitchen. Anyway, moved over here. <laughs> moved so over glamorous. Here. Yeah, it was very glamorous. And then we moved over here in 05. I think January mm-hmm. 05 is when we started here. Um, yeah, that's right around when I started here. So you started, so you, were, you were working in undergrad, no, you were working graduate admission. I was you're, working with Tisha. Were you working with Tisha uh-huh. first? No I way. started with Tisha. I mm-hmm. didn't know that. Yep. Wow. Yep. What were you doing? Well, because Tisha was at one of our. So she had multiple roles here, too. Mm-hmm. She was an advisor, and then she did a couple other things with mm-hmm. career services. I was doing – I started doing a bunch of filing, and then I gradually was, I think, sort of poached by the graduate admissions, and I was doing a lot of data entry stuff for yeah. graduate admissions. Super exciting mm-hmm. graduate admission stuff. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it was a fun group of student workers, though. I enjoyed yeah. working here. Yeah. You were with May? Mm-hmm. Yep. And... and May and I started our PhD program together. Really? Mm-hmm. Because I started working – with Steve Nutt in the Composite Center the summer after I started working here. And May was looking for a research position, too. So I brought her from here over there. Wow. So she started in the PhD program. And then she actually, so she did her bachelor's in engineering. She got through a master's in material science. And then I believe what happened was I think one of her grandparents got ill. Mm. And she was spending a lot of time with her family and got really interested in nursing. So she made a complete swap 
Wow. Um, and ended up getting a nursing degree. Wow. But I think still, I mean, even with that sort of strange trajectory, I think having the engineering background is something that she's very happy that she did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, ended up in a totally different career wow. at the end of it. That's crazy. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, it's good to know you guys still keep in touch. Yeah. Um, cool. I think we covered a lot. Yeah, we did. We did. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming in and doing this. Really of appreciate it. Uh, we'll have to let you know when we get it up. It'll be a little while. Cool. But uh, that's it. Great. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, no problem. It.